Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at pctytalks at paylocity.com. On today's episode, we're going to go not so bite-sized and take a longer format to have a really robust discussion about coronavirus from an HR and legal perspective. Please enjoy. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I have in studio with me Cheryl Johnson, our CHRO here at Paylocity. And on the phone, I have Lindsay Ditlow, a partner with McDermott, Will, and Emery. Thank you both for joining me today. Awesome. We are, I don't know if I should say we're excited to be here, (laughs) but glad we can be here and, and help potentially answer some questions for others. Yes, same. Happy to be of any assistance. Yeah, with the recent developments on COVID-19 and the impact on U.S. employers, I really just wanted to spend a few minutes, it would probably be a long discussion, actually talking about some tough questions that I'm sure our listeners are struggling with, that they're getting from employees, or even, you know, questions that they've had that, you know, this is hitting us in an unprecedented way that it ever has before. And so they could be familiar questions with a new twist. Um, so I'd like to start with a question to Lindsay, and then Cheryl, please jump in as, as you see fit. What should an employer do if an employee is concerned about the risk of contracting coronavirus and doesn't want to attend work? Sure, and that is coming up a lot recently as we see the spread across the U.S. Um, and the numbers increase. Currently, if a employee is concerned about coming into work, we understand and want to promote and encourage Uh, work from home flexibility if that is meaningful. Although what we also recommend because we understand in doing so you might open that up to a number of employees is instituting what we call kind of temporary and emergent work from home flexibility procedures. Um, So this way it doesn't allow the precedent to extend um, to when at a time when we hope everything goes back to normal but allows the flexibility to address those employees concern. OSHA has requirements that every employee must every employer must provide a safe and workplace. So we want to make sure that we're mindful of that and employee concerns that the workplace would be reasonably safe to attend and to travel to. So right now the recommendation is to work with employees, if possible, to allow flexible work from home policies on a temporary basis. What are you seeing? I I think that makes sense and it's certainly a useful uh, strategy for companies who have that flexibility. What are you seeing with the employers who who have a workforce that doesn't have that option. You know, they're a service provider, their job is an in-person job. What is the recommendation you're seeing there? Absolutely. We're seeing that more and more now, too, is a lot of the more uh, tech-level companies or companies that are used to working from home has implemented but are more in-person warehouse manufacturing clients are asking us, well, what about us? What do we do? And with that, to the extent a request is, let's say, reasonable, if an employee is immune compromised or otherwise in a health conscious state or has even, you know, heightened levels of anxiety, that might be have to be something that is accommodated under the ADA at this time, and that accommodation might be a reasonable request to work from home. Otherwise, as long as the employee is not themselves showing symptoms of any coronavirus or flu-like, cold-like symptoms, has been exposed to someone with that or has otherwise traveled to one of those countries because you don't want to run the risk of having the employee come into the workforce and then especially infecting other potential employees, especially if you are in a workplace that requires in-person work appearances um, that you do require them to come in and continue to do their their job performance. Obviously, to the extent that leave is available, they might choose to take that time off if that is a concern they have, but you can still require them to come into the workplace. Are you seeing companies loosen up their attendance policies when they have them in in circumstances like this? We we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think certainly it is being mindful of both employee morale Mm -hmm. and a lot of the fear that is circulating and also seeing a lot of what other large companies are doing in the workplace for their employees. So employees are kind of expecting that. So we have seen an uptick 
of attendance policies being more relaxed. And I think also either as we're speaking or maybe momentarily, it's likely that a national state of emergency is going to be put into place, which is actually going to require some additional paid leave policies. Um, so I think employers have been anticipating that and wanting to be flexible and provide that additional flexibility. Got it. Where have you seen or have you seen any changes in the healthcare industry, you know, those that are providing maybe in-home care, any changes in protocol on um, protective equipment or any changes or recommendations coming out of OSHA for that group? Like a doctor's note or any, right? Yeah. So on, on the doctor's note, um, right now that is something that actually the CDC and the World Health Organization are advising against just because of the aim, the very burdensome impact mm-hmm. that the healthcare workers are having to go through. So in order to get almost an all-clear doctor's note, um, when the healthcare workers are already dealing with a number of patients coming in who have tested positive, people that are concerned about positive testing and other symptoms, and then obviously just people going through their other regular health emergencies. So they're trying to actually recommend being more relaxed on um, the doctors providing notes. It's not something that has to be done. It's only a recommendation. But given the circumstances, um, it's not something that's being required. It's not placed additional burden on the healthcare workers. In terms of additional preventative measures, um, just additional cleaning, um, desanitizing, limiting as close as possible in-person contact. We've heard the term a lot, the social distancing, six feet apart. Now, obviously, for some home health aides and home health care workers, that's going to be difficult. Um, I would suggest, you know, the continuing precautions, face masks where available, gloves, continuing to hand wash as often as possible. That makes sense. Do you know, I, I'm just curious, so I, I was talking to um, a, a client yesterday who's in the home health care space, and they were wondering if they do have a home health care aide who um, has an illness, is it reasonable for the the customer, so the person that they're actually treating, to require any kind of documentation to say that they're okay to be in their home treating them? So, I mean, I quick answer there is kind of unlikely no if they feel that there is a risk if the customer feels that there is a risk to their own health they Mm -hmm. could certainly request that they do not treat them but in terms of requesting let's say a medical certification that this person um is well or i guess something that they could return to work would possibly be okay but anything that would disclose personal medical information you start to run afoul of hipaa regulations got it so let me, I want to ask one more follow-up question um, on the doctor's note. And what you've said, I've, I've heard that many times. The, the question I see come up is someone who says, I have a condition that puts me at high risk, and therefore I don't want to come into work. What do you do in those instances? Can an employer, is it reasonable for an employer to ask for some documentation to show that they have a condition that would put them in the high-risk category? It is, um, certainly under the ADA, which is really where that high-risk accommodation would come into. The normal process is that interactive process and having um, doctor's notes and doctor's certifications to certify that and determine based on that what would be the reasonable accommodation. Um, So it's certainly legal and can certainly be something that's you know, being required and requested. But at the same time, I will say in practice as of late, we're seeing those procedures in that process a little bit more lax mm-hmm. um, just because of the understanding and the individual's maybe hesitation to, if they are already at immune compromise, to have to go into a healthcare provider where they might be being exposed to people with contagious diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, also based on just wanting to provide the flexibility and to the extent that the accommodation is work from home and the work can be performed fully at home without a significant um, impact on their business practices, we're finding that they're allowing it with Mm -hmm. much more flexibility um, and providing that in order to address those concerns and feel that it's the least disruptive way to handle the process. Going along the same lines of questioning, are you seeing that if uh, an employee contracts COVID-19 that they're eligible for FMLA? So we are. 
Um, and when this first started to come out, there was a little bit of discussion or questioning whether ultimately it, it, would, it would be covered. But certainly now seeing the significant health impact and significant health risks that it poses, it is now being suggested that it would be covered as an FMLA disability. However, it's not necessarily being covered as an ADA disability. So the work from home accommodations, actually the people that would fall under that disability in order to get that accommodation. Certainly it wouldn't be somebody with um, coronavirus. They would be on you know, the unpaid leave under the FMLA or otherwise on sick leave. Um, but the ADA accommodation would be for those who have an otherwise health underlying health condition, which would subject them to a disability or otherwise even, let's say, a medical condition such as anxiety. That would also possibly potentially qualify. But in terms of contracting the coronavirus itself, it is going to likely fall under FMLA leave. So that would allow the 12 weeks of unpaid leave should that time be needed and also would allow the person to apply for short-term disability. To, okay, so this is interesting. So you mentioned the 12 weeks, obviously, under FMLA. Um, I'm curious if there's been any kind of suggested standard for what is a reasonable amount of time someone would need for FMLA related to coronavirus. Do they even know how long the treatment and, and illness could take? I, to be honest, I don't think they do. Mm-hmm. And more so, I think it does vary by person. And in terms of, obviously, everyone who has tested positive right now for coronavirus is working with and being monitored closely by local health authorities and officials. And in terms of when almost they are cleared for no longer to be in self-isolation or self-quarantine or even if they've been hospitalized, that will likely be dictated a lot more by the local health authorities. Um, some other people we've seen where they've you know, recovered at home fairly quickly. Obviously, there'll probably be, be a recommended period of time um, for them to be symptom-free. Mm-hmm. in which before they would go back out and no longer be in self-isolation or that we'd recommend them to come back in the workplace because certainly you don't want to run the risk that they continue into infect. I think that's one of the unknowns. No one knows that if once you're cured, whether or not it's out of your system, you develop an immunity to it, you can't reinfect mm-hmm. anyone, you yourself can't become reinfected. So I think that's really going to play out more as we see how these cases are handled. Um, and as it, we also watch other countries around the world as they start to get back to normal. China has started to increase its operations, get its workers back, and they've been in all, practically almost complete quarantine now for almost a month. So as we see how they get back to back and whether there's any, you know, resurgence on the infections might really be instructive. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of that guidance on how much will be a reasonable amount of time for people who do test positive will come from the health authorities. There's there's a whole slew of questions kind of around the same topic of, you know, if I have an employee who's exhibiting COVID-19 symptoms, can I send them home? If I send them home, do I have to pay them? If they're, if they don't, if they're not actually positive, but they have an unconfirmed case, you know, all around that idea of quarantine and pay and, and being Um, cognizant of that social distancing we talked about. What is your take on that? Sure. So if someone is uh, displaying COVID-19 symptoms, should you send them home? The absolute unequivocal answer to that is yes. Um, And in fact, kind of the CDC recommendation is anybody who's feeling ill or exhibiting any symptoms should not come to the workplace and the employer should absolutely send them home. Now, the difficulty there comes from, and if they're well enough to work, because they think a lot of times in the most cases, um, a lot of times, even if they are showing symptoms, sometimes the symptoms can be mild. Um, And if they're well enough to continue to work from home and it is a position that enables them to work from home, they should still continue to work from home. Um, And if they're performing their job, then obviously they should be paid as normal. If they're not well enough to work from home, or it is a position that doesn't lend itself to work from home. Um, To the extent they have paid leave available, um, and that may also be changing based on, you know, some emergent legislation that's likely to possibly come out in order to address this, but assuming under current leave policies, if they have paid leave available, you can um, allow them to utilize that. If they don't, there's no requirement to pay them during that amount of time. The recommendation now is, unless somebody actually tests positive, um, then that they should stay out of the workplace and also self-isolate 
at, for up to 24 hours until after they are experiencing any symptoms. So that's the current recommendation. Um, although I will say one of the problems we're seeing um, in the news, there's been a lot of talk about this, about the spreading of it, um, and that people have not been able to get tested, even though they might be showing slight signs of symptoms because of the limited testing kit availability, and so only the most high risk are getting tested. What you'd almost not want to have happen is somebody goes home, maybe it is a case where it's mild. We don't know exactly how long it can be contagious if it is somebody with COVID-19. They go home, maybe after a day or so of rest, if they have a mild case, they say, okay, I'm fine, um, especially if they're out on unpaid leave and want to come back into the office. And then they end up in a situation where they actually do have it and then spread it to some other people who might be more high risk and who might not end up having as mild symptoms. And then you're in a situation where you have possibly a number of employees who test positive cases depending on your office or warehouse manufacturing facility, you know, having to shut down and do a decontamination and then having the local health authorities dictate a little bit more about how much closure time and cleaning has to be done. So I think a lot of times in an effort to avoid those worst-case scenarios, it might be beneficial to work with the employee and allow them the time out of the office or otherwise working from home in order to ensure that they are symptom-free, that they do not have the coronavirus, and also clear enough time so that they don't come back into the workplace and potentially infect other coworkers. I mean, I think what you bring up is so important is the idea that um, it's not addressing that employee. It's protecting the rest of your workforce. And then if you are in an industry where you're interacting with customers, it's protecting, you know, the whole workforce and the customers. I'm curious. I was talking to an, uh, a fellow HR colleague yesterday who um, had shared a situation with me where an employee actually reported another employee who was coughing. So it was someone mm-hmm. working in their same workspace and was coughing. And so the employee reported to HR and said, we've got this colleague who's coughing. Can you please send them home? So the HR person talked to the person who was coughing, and that person didn't have sick time, didn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. What is the advice in that instance where the employee says, I don't have any time off. I need the money. I don't want to go home. I don't have the flu. It's just a cough. It's allergies. What, what do you advise employers in those instances? Yeah, and that's a tricky one, um, and that's been happening a lot, especially, you know, any cough, any slight sneeze. As we come into allergy season, I think that's going to be more and more prevalent um, and where kind of colleagues are concerned about working amongst people and being overly cautious, which is okay, but we also kind of want to be reasonable under those circumstances. So in that, it's always important to work with the local HR. HR should speak with the employee that they've issued about, they can, you know, take the opportunity to work from home. If they don't want to because they are on sick leave, then the decision comes, um, do you mandate that they, you know, are out of the office? Recommendation is actually if somebody is exhibiting any symptoms that they are not permitted to come into the office. Um, Now, what are those symptoms? Right now, it's hard to know. Sometimes Mm -hmm. COVID-19 presents with a fever. Sometimes it presents with a cough. Sometimes it presents with none of that. So it's really hard to know. And I think we want to be cautious, but also practical. And so I think if after speaking to the employee, if they are not necessarily that concerned about their health, there is no indication they've had um, direct contact with somebody who has tested positive for COVID-19. They haven't otherwise engaged in high-risk travel. They've been engaging in proper hygiene practices that then is you could permit them to stay in the office, but also mandating that social distancing mm-hmm. and keep them as far as part as possible. The recommendation is at least six feet. However, on also a practical standpoint, because being mindful of what happens if you're wrong, what happens mm-hmm. if this person does have it? And then not only do you have one person in the workplace that's contracted COVID-19, you might run the risk of having multiple. Mm-hmm. And then your workforce can be severely impacted over the coming weeks. So then the option is, well, then this employee doesn't want to uh, take a day off because they don't have paid leave. Do you give them an additional paid Mm -hmm. leave day Um, or maybe even up to two to three days so they can determine whether their symptoms subside or if this is something possibly more serious? Uh, And unfortunately, that's a little bit case-by-case basis. Um, Some 
National legislation might dictate and provide um, emergency leave procedures during this time in order to help employers ease that burden and ease that decision-making. But that's kind of the balance that we're seeing right now. Right. I mean, these are unprecedented times. And applying our traditional or standard um, policies and procedures around sick time and attendance may not fit the circumstances, especially to your point when you think about your entire client base and if you are in the healthcare industry, which we have a lot of clients who are, or you're in food services and hospitality where you're you're potentially interacting with food and customers who could be touching things, I think anything employers can do to make it as possible for an employee to go get go home and get the the right. um, health that they need to make sure that they're not actually sick with that and that they're not contaminating others. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know we're in the beginning of the year, and some, a lot of times employers do accrued paid or sick leave throughout, mm-hmm. such that you know, they might not have accrued all their sick leave or vacation time for the year. So one option is consider front-loading it. Yeah. If you were in a mm-hmm. company that had everyone's vacation and sick leave accrue as of January 1, and it does so throughout the year, maybe make later available time available now so that employees can take advantage of it or issue a couple of extra days, sometimes in the long run, it might be the least costly, most beneficial option. And I think that's certainly something. I think employees are also cognizant of it. I mean, not only of their own health, but also of the idea that they could be spreading and infecting others Mm -hmm. and then possibly going home to elderly parents, people who are immune compromised themselves. So there's a lot of considerations that have to be taken into place. And I think it's a more broad approach and spectrum. And that's why we're seeing a lot of employer flexibility. And then also employee flexibility is these protective measures are put in place Mm -hmm. and work from home guidelines, because I think everybody recognizes that this really is unprecedented times. And Mm -hmm. the information people are getting changes from day to day and new cases pop up. So I think people really are just looking for guidance and wanting to be helpful, but also concerned about how it may all result in the long run and how long it's going to last. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest questions and biggest unknowns. So what might be the policy that you're able to have in place now when it's one or two possible employees and maybe it's only another week might be very different. Um, And if we all go back to normal, you know, knock on wood, hopefully as soon as possible um, in a short period of time, then that all worked out well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, worst case scenario is hopefully we're not having these same conversations six months from now. Mm-hmm. And then it's a very different world. Obviously, business will hurt, employees will be hurting. So decisions and things will have to kind of come as we go. But right now, especially at the onset, and as a lot of U.S. employers are being impacted for the first time mm-hmm. this week, we're really seeing the flexibility and the ability to provide employees that extra day or two to make sure not only is their own health protected, but those of their families, their community, and their coworkers. Right. You know, at Paylocity, we are... We are evaluating this, um, it seems like, every minute, <laughs> but it's definitely um, <laughs> on, a, right, on a daily basis. And I, one of the, the stances that we've been taking is, you know, we want to do our part in making sure that the employees who can easily work remotely, that we do everything we can to enable them to work remotely so that we can minimize and, and um, minimize the social interaction and keep that social distancing for those employees who can't easily work remotely. So kind of doing our part to make sure that we are contributing in that way. Absolutely, and that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the ways to do it. I mean, to the extent that some employees can't work from home, but you have a number of employees that can, to switch that. I've also seen where some companies just based because maybe they are a little bit more requiring in office, they're doing um, like staggered workforces, like mm-hmm. one week half their workforces work from home, the next week the other workforce. Or also, um, to the extent this is practical, utilizing like satellite or smaller office spaces so you don't have as many people in one location. So this way, if you do have an issue, and you know, unfortunately now we're starting to see a number of companies having to close an office for decontamination cleaning. Mm-hmm. Also, spreading out your workforce helps to eliminate that risk. So this way, you don't have everyone out, you know, over a day or two, and maybe it's only you know one third of your workforce if you took advantage of that staggering workforce and kind of switching it so you have half people out one week, the other half coming in, or then to the extent that you have some employees that need to be in office or are non-exempt and are concerned about getting their pay during this time, 
you can keep your office open for them and allow those employees who are maybe more accustomed to or able to fully perform their job functions at home the ability to do so. Definitely. As this continues to to spread, and hopefully we can slow that spread, but I think employers are all going to get hit with, okay, now I have a confirmed case in my organization, and what are my obligations to my coworkers, to um, the government, to my clients? What are you seeing as recommendations there? Sure. Um, and to be honest, now it's no longer recommendations. I've dealt with actually in more cases than I'd like to admit of this exact scenario over the last couple of days. Um, So in that instance, a lot of times, because in order to currently get a positive case, that the individual employee will have already been working with local health authorities and sometimes even federal CDC. It's not something that can be diagnosed on your own at home. So a lot of times the employee or the local health authorities will reach out to the employer directly. At that point in time, the employer, without disclosing the employee's names, are trying to keep that privacy information, but has a duty to alert all the employees who have come in reasonable contact with that employee. And the recommendation is that they then self-isolate for a period of 14 days. Um, Also, then you're required to do decontamination or cleaning processes of the office location in which they are. And what amount of office space or warehouse or manufacturing facility that is, Um, To be honest, it's going to be a lot dependent on what the local health authorities say. The other day, I actually had a client who has a large manufacturing facility and office and as well as office space. They were wondering, well, how much of the plant do we have to shut down for cleaning or is it just the office where the employee worked Um, because maybe they didn't walk through the manufacturing plant as much. And so we kind of worked with the local health authorities to decide what is the potential zone of contamination to decide what has to be immediately shut down, totally decontaminated, things that were, you know, being processed there and not being used or for a period of time, as opposed to, you know, shutting down the entire facility, which was massive. And so we're in that case, you work with your local health authorities to kind of get the guidance. You identify the employees that are potentially at risk. The local health authorities will also be in contact with them as they ask them to monitor their own symptoms. And should they start to experience any symptoms that are relevant to COVID-19, then they themselves would end up being tested. And then, unfortunately, you know, it spreads out from there. Um, So that's really that basis. And then a lot of times for that immediate procedure, depending if you can take advantage of work from home, we recommend that at least a 7 to 14-day period does so. Because even if you have a number of employees kind of go home, look at their symptoms, um, and close your office or plant for the cleaning, which only takes about a day or two. The concern is if everyone comes back three days later, what if somebody's not showing symptoms? What if this was somebody that the employee who tested positive didn't really necessarily recall having an interaction with? No one's entirely sure how much exposure needs to happen in order for someone to contract it. So it's not necessarily just the person you sit across from or the person you eat lunch with every day. It could be the person that, you know, you pass by in the hall or were in the bathroom with at that time. Um, And they might not be somebody that the local health authorities have identified as needing to self-isolate. So you all go back to normal, and then three days later you find yourself in the same position because this other employee who wasn't originally identified as someone with a potential contract risk contact risk um, contracts it. And then you're back to square one and having to go through the process all over again. So with that, we recommend obviously following all the guidance of the local health authorities and informing those who came into contact with the infected employee to self-isolate, but also being mindful and not wanting to continue this process and being there to be flexible and try to maintain business operations as much as possible, but in doing so in either a reduced capacity or remote capacity in order to allow time to see what trickle effect this might ultimately have. Okay, so I have a nuanced question in regards to that. (laughs) So let's say you have an employee who has a roommate or a Mm -hmm. spouse or whatever they live they cohabitate and they one of their roommates or cohabitant finds out that an employee within their office is diagnosed with covid how does that affect the employee who works for your company 
who doesn't necessarily have any contact with the person at the other company who got it, but because they cohabitate may have been exposed to it. Sure. I mean, a lot of that's going to be very uh, fact-specific, <laughs> if whether they're cohabit cohabitator, whether spouse, roommate, or whomever um, is somebody that's like designated as close contact with that person. Um, and based on local health authority guidelines, both of them, if they, if that individual um, did have close contact with that person, they might be forced to self-isolate. And then, to be honest, likely the employee of your company would be forced to self-isolate for those 14 days. Mm -hmm. And in that instance, you're kind of in that situation if the employee is healthy and can work from home, then, you know, they should and continue to do so. If they can't, then they would, and they're not well, or their job can't be performed out of the office, then they would be on unpaid or paid leave depending on what the company's policy is and the employee has at that point. Um, if they're not automatically required to self-isolate, and if the coworker whom they um, share a dwelling with is not exhibiting any symptoms, then there's no requirement that, um, or even best practices at this point, um, where it would be a strong recommendation that the person stays out of the office. Um, so you can have them do so with obviously taking all the necessary precautions of hand sanitizing, hand washing, social distancing, all that. Um, but there's also, you know, do you take the abundance of caution approach and ask them to continue to stay out of the office mm -hmm. and monitor their symptoms over the next couple of days as well. Are you seeing any unique scenarios coming up with unions and collective bargaining agreements in our ability to create some of this social distancing? Um, I would say, to be honest, not yet. I mean, I think as this is just unprecedented times, the couple of instances I've seen so far where the unions have been implicated, they've been, you know, very standbackish, um, you know, working with the companies and the unions and just, you know, riding it out. I think where we'll get a little bit more union issues is if we see some long-term closures or some, you know, no pay occurring. So far, everything's been very short-term and pay providing, so there hasn't really been significant union issues. But again, as we're probably, unfortunately, maybe only in the early stages of this, I'm sure those issues will continue to arise things end up having to be addressed longer term. And then also as, you know, this becomes something that a lot more employers infected, a lot more employees are affected, and the option to continue to pay when maybe you are shut down for more than one day um, is no longer a realistic opportunity that that comes into play a little bit more. Right now, in terms of any clients that have union issues, we're just advising, you know, inform the unions of any closures, inform them of any change in work circumstances, check with them about if closures do have to occur, you know, what does your agreement say in terms of who has to get paid. If you want to take a look ahead of time, if you anticipate maybe having to do some potential layoffs, understand based on the collective bargaining agreement who might be that first round, but just kind of stay on top of the information because a lot of times now, as we're saying, things change and a lot of times very fast decisions have to be made. So to the extent you can educate yourself on what might be required or begin those talks with the union representatives ahead of time. So in the event of an emergency that affects you specifically, you're ahead of the game that way. So there's a lot of schools closing. And being mm -hmm. someone who has three children, three very active, bouncy, loud children, um, whose school is now closed indefinitely, definitely for a week. Um, this is coming up a lot. What do we do as an employer when our employees now don't have childcare, um, or at least their childcare has been disrupted? What are some of the things you're seeing? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, this question has come up a lot of times, even before this whole coronavirus um, circumstances arose. So the same principles apply. Obviously, I think employers are in a mindset of being a little bit more flexible, but still the same principles do apply. Um, and I know between the universities and the elementary schools and the health school and the high school closures, um, you know, I've talked to clients that not only have their toddlers at home, but now other college kids might be coming back and it creates, you know, a circus at home. So I think that's one of the things that 
to the extent that you're not employing work from home policies and you do require those employees to come into the office and maybe they're asking for leave or extra time off or to be able to be that unique employee that is permitted to work from home, it's not necessarily what we call kind of in the law that protected class. So just because you have child care issues, it doesn't automatically entitle you to an additional accommodation that is not being made to the wider office space. Um, and if they do require additional, and if they can't make those accommodations in order to have child care and are required to come into the office, then the option is, you know, do they take advantage of some paid time off that they have? Um, and depending, to be honest, and then also depending on your own workforce, I mean, obviously, to the extent that you may be short-staffed already because people are out sick or the things, um, you know, it could still be a reasonable idea to deny that request. So I think that's unfortunately going to be something that we see come up a little bit more and how is that being handled. While it's been something that in general at terms have dealt with for years in advising employers, I think the added issue of already having a potentially short-staffed workforce because you might have people out sick or people quarantined or people who can't get back because of travel reasons, you know, in the position of potentially having to deny that time off request. And how is that handled? And that puts the employee in a very tight um, kind of space. Well, what do they do? Do they try to continue and maintain their job? Obviously, knowing that you know this might have some long-lasting effects on the economy, or do they then leave because otherwise there's nobody home to watch their child? In the terms of you know the work from home, I think that also presents some additional concerns. Obviously, if you have a lot of young children and their daycares are closed or they're elementary age and really not in a position to care and tend for themselves, you know, everybody knows how difficult that can often be and having to manage that while on conference calls and especially while we're talking about video conference calls and having all that and wanting a distraction-free workplace at home, almost so it's just as you were in the office, but understanding sometimes that's not going to be as possible wanting to maintain performance. So I think if the employees are working from home, they're obviously still required to do all their job duties and responsibilities that they were when they were in the office. Their level of performance should not be able to be able to drop off if that is something that is doing. And I think especially as maybe work from home policies continue for some significant amount of time, and maybe we even see changes when we kind of get back to normal because people might have become accustomed to this and utilizing all the tools of Slack, Jabber, Zoom, all these remote working capabilities might be something we see, but obviously then production and performance has to keep at that same level. So I think then that's a question of how do some employees maintain that same level of performance and productivity at home when they're also trying to attend to childcare needs. Um, sometimes that's a, just as in normal times, I think sometimes that's a interactive conversation. You know, maybe it's a staggered work hours. You know, you can wake up a little bit earlier to perform some tasks and take a break during lunch or work a little bit later. Or you can see if you can get some home care during that time period. Or maybe it becomes a situation if it's, you know, two spouses and their children, if they're both now stuck working from home, how to tag team that issue. But while it's certainly a huge inconvenience, I'm sure, for a number, and as we're seeing a number of school closings, I think yesterday I saw 400,000 students um, through K through 12 across the country wow. are now taking school work remotely. And for younger kids, obviously there has to be some oversight at home to make sure they're getting the education they need. So I think it's going to have to be a balancing act. Um, I think obviously a lot of employers and the people that make these decisions in terms of work from home also have those issues that are affecting them as well. So I think we're going to see some flexibility and trying to manage this as everyone goes into almost the normal and recognizes that um, people are going to have to manage and juggle the schooling of their children, which we want just from a societal perspective to get being productive in the workplace and not having any client disruptions or business disruptions while we work from home, um, but kind of trying to find that balance and how best to do so is kind of something that'll be continued to work out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the, the opportunity to be flexible if you have that ability as a company is super important. I think our, you know, 
everybody's experiencing some disruption right now. So I imagine within our our society, there's some understanding that things are going to be a little um, different and unique. I'm curious. Yeah, and I, and I think go ahead. employer flexibility goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I think it boosts employee morale. And I think with that and showing that compassion and showing that flexibility and showing those accommodations makes employees a lot more willing to, you know, do what they can to get everything they need done. Um, and I think that ultimately in the long run probably provides for a better workforce and better productivity if, if possible. Obviously, we understand there's unique circumstances where it's not as easy to work from home, um, and that can't be the way to go about it. As we said, service industry, manufacturing facilities don't have those options, and I think that's going to be really kind of difficult way to do it. Now, whether it's something that recognizing that some larger companies might be the first ones to implement it, but it could also be small companies Mm -hmm. as well um, that have a somewhat of a more family atmosphere to them where, you know, in-office daycares or a room for where children can work Mm -hmm. remotely and maybe you have one person kind of overseeing it. Who knows where that stretch may go if this ends up being something more for the long run. Well, I will say there's probably a bunch of uh, high school students right now who are um, not at school and probably would appreciate some of the <laughs> extra exactly. hours. Exactly, definitely boom for the high school babysitting. Right, <laughs> right. You should leverage it. That's very true. Absolutely. I mean, college students as well. I mean, I talked to two people today where the campuses of their college-age students are now being closed, and so they're returning home, going to take the rest of their semesters virtually. Right. Right. And I, I, you know, obviously it's an expense associated with having to arrange, you know, this child care that you weren't expecting to, but recognizing that there, there's also the, those high schoolers and college students yeah. are probably a little bit more readily available. I need to figure out which my neighbors are, are around. Right. I can help with the kids. I have teenage boys. I will send mine to your Perfect. house. Perfect. That, that could be scary though. Teenage boys with my boys. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so one of the things I'm curious about is with, back to the child care and the work from home is what are employers, um, the, not so much the word rights, but how do they go about having the conversation with an employee to understand if they're going to be in a distraction fear environment or does that not really need to come up? It does not need to come up, and to be honest, should not come up, because then you get into some issues of discrimination based on familial status. Mm. Um, So unless you're seeing a dip in employee performance or productivity, I would not have that conversation until that time. Okay, that's fair. And and I think think that's a good rule of thumb Mm -hmm. across the board. Um, You know, certainly you don't want to... Let's say you have a new mom in your office, and after she's returning from maternity leave, you know, to go up and approach, well, we just want to make sure that you're able to do your job now, now that you have a young, you know, child at home. Those conversations should not occur. And I think similarly, let employees find their balance. Obviously, performance, working from home and coronavirus is not going, should not be an excuse to, you know, not fully perform your job. And if you're saying that somebody is not doing their job while working from home or isn't as dedicated or also too I mean a lot of times when people see flexible work from home they think that it actually allows you know some time off during the day to run to the gym or run to the grocery store employers can allow that but also employers can say these are our office hours Mm -hmm. whether you're sitting at your desk in our office or if you're working remotely at home during this time period these are our hours you're expected to be online, available, and readily free without distraction during these hours. Might Depending on the employee, you might also have to factor in a certain meal or rest break during that time period. But you can absolutely say, these are your hours. We're sticking to it. This is what works best for our job. You know, 8 a.m. to 6, 9 to 5, whatever it might be. These are your hours, and you're expected to be 100% available during that time period. And I think that's something that a lot of employers who might not be used to employing work-from-home policies might be hesitant and not necessarily understanding that you can demand the same level of service, the same level of hours from your employees if they're working from home or if they were in the office. And working from home should not be seen as, you know, a not an opportunity to take full advantage mm-hmm. of your workforce. We So at Paylocity, we have almost 50% of our workforce that works from home, and we have a pretty good um, guideline for those employees because we have so many that explains what it means to work from home 
but we've we've recently put together a temporary policy and program, I should say more of a program than policy that we can give to this new group of employees who are going to be working from home um, in situations that they may not have otherwise had the experience. And I, I think your point is spot on is reminding people and, and setting people up for success. Make sure that they know going mm-hmm. into it what you expect from them in a work from home situation so that you're not dealing with um, problems that could have been avoided had you given them you know some clear guidelines on what it means to work from home. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I travel a lot for work. I often work from home. So that's something I've been doing for years. But when we've now moved, at least for our New York office, to a work from home policy for the next week, and gearing up for that in the last week or two, they made sure and went around to all staff that might not already be set up with laptops to provide it. We've also done trainings, um, work from home trainings for people that might not be as accustomed to it. So let everybody know, here are all the tools that you have. There should be no interruptions. If you have any questions, let's do dry runs. Mm-hmm. And then also making sure that people know what they, what's expected of them during the work from home period. Yeah, I think what's been very interesting about this conversation, and I really appreciate hearing all of your perspective, is, you know, there's there's the difference between what legally you are obligated and required to do, and then just from a, you know, a, a human perspective and a good corporate citizen perspective, how can we be more accommodating and supportive to our workforce that will ultimately help other workforces um, in this really unusual time. And your your employees yeah. will remember this. They'll remember how oh, you handled it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's it. a big thing. I mean, I think, and it does vary. I think we do have to recognize when kind of talking about this that there's some giant corporations that got ahead out of this. I mean, I remember Amazon, Twitter, Google announcing work from home. Obviously, a lot of them are set up to do so, um, you know, Walmart announcing they'll give an additional two weeks of pay, which is great. No one thinks that's not a bad idea, and it's wonderful, but I think sometimes it sets up employee expectations, and then you have some smaller companies mm-hmm. being like, what do we do? That doesn't fit for us. Um, how do we handle that? And I think it's, you know, being mindful of all those sides, and I think employees understand, too, in this unprecedented time, and I think as long as everyone kind of put any difference aside, you know, bipartisan effort, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, and works together and really figures out, okay, what can we do? We're trying our best to not only be respectful and encourage the health and safety of our, of our employees, customers, and clients, um, but also business continuity, mm-hmm. because we don't yet know if this is our new normal for an extended period of time or possibly a short time. And we have to figure out how best to navigate it. And it's really going to take everybody to do so. And I've found that, you know, the employers that do provide the most flexibility and and are mindful of what they can do, but, you know, trying, at at least in the beginning, kind of figuring out, okay, you know, if we have to close down for a day for cleaning, let's pay our employees, you know, it's one day, let's Mm -hmm. see what happens after that. You get a lot more cooperation, a lot more effort um, from the employees in the long run. And I think as we all navigate these next couple of weeks, I think that's important as well. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I just, as we're recording this, as we're talking, I just saw a news thing pop up that was happening while we were talking. And it says that Trump did declare a national emergency. Um, and so what should employers be doing to keep up to date with that and, and understand what the state of emergency means for them and, and their obligations? No, absolutely. And it, it, <laughs> as lawyer, it's been unique. Normally, my go-to legal sources uh, when I'm advising clients or preparing for court is, you know, your quintessential Westlaw, Lexis, legal documents, legal cases. I have been glued, I'm sure just as everyone, glued to the news this week, but it's been, you know, I've read the New York Post for updates on what's happening for (laughs) New York City and forwarding things to clients. And I think it's staying on top of things, obviously, in the news, making sure, obviously, you have the correct information and things do have an opportunity to get verified. I know in these 24-hour news cycles, a lot of times things are rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes information gets out there beforehand, and there's a lot of panic. And then we kind of realize, well, what does this mean? I know the other day in New York City where there was the five, ba- uh, gatherings of 500 or more are banned. 
And people were up in arms in offices that had yet to move to working remotely or camping. Like, well, how is this possible? How are we going to do it? Take a step back. We looked at it. It was only for congregating spaces, offices, you know, that have divisions and aren't entirely open floor plans. This doesn't apply to you. We still support social distancing. But you. But this does not mean that your entire office is shutting down. So a lot of times I'd say take a breath, mm-hmm. take, take a step back, wait for, you know, all the information to come in. And in terms of the states of emergencies, obviously look to the CDC, who the local guidance we're receiving. I think in also uh, my understanding is from this, it will also allow some emergent legislation to come up, which might also include some additional guidance on leave, um, child care protections, um, further testing on the coronavirus kits, which, as I think I said earlier, has been one of the problems, like the slowness in which it, so we don't necessarily know if somebody has a regular cold or a regular flu or is symptom-free and has the coronavirus or has a couple symptoms but doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this will actually be helpful and beneficial and will shore up some additional aid, um, not only as a stimulus for the overall economy, economy, but also to help businesses as they navigate this time period. But I think it's just important to stay on top of the news to the extent you have any questions. Obviously, you know, legal counsel, HR, all great resources. Great. Thank you both for joining me today. This has been such a rich conversation and very relevant. Um, any last thoughts from either one of you just to kind of wrap up everything we've discussed? I'll start with you, Lindsay. Sure. I mean, I think, as we said, this is very unprecedented time. Things are changing. I think it's really just working together and navigating it, being mindful and kind of doing our part is both employees and citizens um, trying to contain this as much as possible. And hopefully, you know, things will get back to normal, even if it ends up being a new normal. Yeah. And I would say, you know, sort of what we were talking about is understanding what your obligations are is definitely important and knowing that they are changing, especially when there's a national emergency and those, you know, laws and requirements are changing. But I think also on the flip side is try to be as human as possible um, and, and accommodating to your employees when you can. And this is not the time to be a stickler on things. This is the time to make sure yeah. that we're supporting our community and our employees. Yeah, and, and all that, one last point, because as a lawyer, I mean, does want to say, I mean, to the extent that people are concerned, especially employers, about things changing, and I think, Sherry, you had noted when you were describing your work-from-home policy for some, you know, this new group of employees, identifying it as temporary. And I mm-hmm. think that's great. We can put temporary policies in place so this isn't something that now just because maybe an additional two weeks of leave is being issued this year, it means that it has to come up next year mm-hmm. or just because some additional employees are working from home now, now it's a policy forever. I think obviously every re- recognizes these are unique in in um, emergent times and we're trying to be as flexible as possible, but it doesn't need to be something that carries through forever. So it doesn't mean everything has to change. Thanks for listening today. If you're interested in additional resources that Pilosity is providing, please take a look at our show notes.